This message by Terry Virgo was recorded at the New Frontiers Together on a Mission Conference 2010 in Brighton. And we're in Ephesians and chapter 6 again. And I'll read the passage just to remind us where we are and uh, see what Paul is saying to us this afternoon. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your mighty word. We thank you for your loving commitment to your church. We bless you that you inhabit our praise as we shout and clap and dance and celebrate. We thank you we do it in the light of truth that you have delivered us from guilt and shame. We are so grateful that we can come with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace. Lord, we are staggered and amazed that we can come to the most holy God so at home with our Father in heaven. We are so grateful for this miracle, this wonderful standing, this incredible mercy. We thank you for your tender love for each of us We pray once again for PJ. We pray for rapid recovery from surgery. We pray the news will be excellent. Father, we're looking to you. We know that hundreds will be praying in Johannesburg and indeed friends around the world. We add our prayers to theirs. We say, Father, raise up your great servant. Raise up our dear friend. We pray for Ashley. She may be kept in your love. We pray for the three boys that they may learn to trust you in the midst of bewildering experience, that they may prove you in their hearts and have their own stories to tell of how you came to them and spoke to them. Lord, we love them. We pray for them, for your beautiful hand, your powerful hand to be upon them for your glory. And Father, we do thank you now for your word. We bless you for your commitment to everyone in this room. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have provided adequately for us to make us more than conquerors through your love. And so we pray, Father, in our great weakness, we celebrate the wonders of things we've been singing, that you give strength, you impart grace, you uphold your children. Let your spirit come, I pray, right now. Please bring revelation. Please fortify us, not only for now, but for the years ahead, for the decades, for all that you've planned for us that affects nation after nation after nation. Thank you for young men and women here planning, praying about, shall we go? Some even thinking, will you marry me? Shall we go? Shall we go together to the ends of the earth? Thank you for the sense of adventure that's among us. Lord, I pray that you will captivate us in and through your word, that we may not just be note-takers, but those responding to truth. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe on us. We ask for lasting fruit from this hour together. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yesterday we saw that the passage we're looking at is in the context of soldiers, the Apostle Paul lying in prison, Uh, writing to the Ephesians and other churches, expressing his concern for them, his passion for them, setting out something of the glories of the church 
and the wonders of our salvation, but not just in order to fill textbooks and academic libraries, but to comfort, encourage, and strengthen them. And we see that all of these glorious truths come to their fullness when he reminds them, now we're in conflict. We're in a battle. So make sure you get hold of these truths. Make sure you're not noting a verse here and a verse there. I want you to put them on. I want them to be like part of you. It's it's as though it's built into you. You now think differently. Your whole perspective is transformed, not by the occasional verse, but by truth that now surrounds you, encompasses you, empowers you, sets you up for conflict, to be part of this great army that's going to go around the world. So yesterday, we saw together the importance of standing strong, being strengthened, not because we're stoics and saying, no, no, we don't know anything about weakness. We don't even acknowledge weakness. We're strong. We're strong. No, no, no. Paul is saying, oh, please take this away from me. I can't bear this pain. This is... You don't look like a stoic, Paul. What do you mean? You're whining on, get rid of He said to me, my grace is sufficient. I will glory then in my weakness. Jesus saves us. We found a savior, not a technique. We found one who comes to us, one who carries us, one who transforms us. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. I'll make you a new, sharp, threshing instrument. I'll thresh the mountains through you. God can transform as we draw on him. He's the savior. And so he's saying, be strong. Let that be your attitude of mind. Let that be your confidence as you go to battle. Be confident. And from that setting, he goes on to open it up and says, now don't forget, of course, you need armor. As we said yesterday, we found a life that's joy unspeakable, full of glory, but you have to wear armor in it. You have to put on your armor. I hope you do that. I hope we're going to do it more as a result of having been here in these days. So the need for defense as well as being on the attack. That's where we're starting this afternoon. That's really the overall word, I guess, the need for defense as well as attack. So we looked at Joshua, for instance, and you could think, uh, Moses, you know, so they said to this young guy, be strong, Joshua, be strong. Come on, Moses, but be strong. I mean, I think Moses would be pretty proud, wouldn't he? As uh, he's gone now, and then Joshua says, come on, we're going. Moses is gone, we're going. And crossing a river and shouting at the walls. You think, wow, Mo, Moses, you'd have been proud of this boy. Great triumph. And then you read the next chapter, chapter 7 and verse 1, but Achan. Whoops. Whoops, what happens? Well, next battle is lost. Next battle, they're on their faces. Next battle, they're running away. Why? Well, actually, they were great at attacking, but their defenses were weak. Some of us who... uh, we're supporting a certain soccer team for a few days. <laughs> Remember them all rushing forward for that corner. Are we ready? There's the defense. The big, tall guys are ready. The, here comes the corner. Oops, it's gone out. Oh, what are those Germans doing up at the other end? Oh, oh, it's in our goal. Let's all go down and attack. Oh, dear. You see, a good team has defense as well. <laughs> I'm hoping we, we might remember that uh, maybe four years from now. You have to have defense as well. You can have very flamboyant attitudes. You can be high profile. If I may put it like this, without wanting to be at all offensive, you can be on God channel night after night and the whole world is watching. You are hitting it to the devil. Oh, my marriage just went. Oh, I didn't have my defense in place. What happened? Well, failing to see the whole picture. We don't only attack, we need to have defense in place. Otherwise we will come sadly, sadly unstuck. We need to know, be strong, but also be armed. Have a good defense. Second thing, just just notice, is called the armor of God. Put on God's armor. 
It's the armor that he has provided for his soldiers. It doesn't work anywhere else. It's useless to people who are not God's soldiers. No good us saying to unsaved people, here's some counsel. Try this. And it doesn't work for outsiders. In fact, the Bible says quite plainly, the gospel is foolishness to those who don't know Jesus. And to us, it's the power of God. And to our salvation, it's a very clear demarcation. You can't kind of share it over. You have to accept Christ. You have to accept what he says. Then the armor is appropriate. If you're outside, it doesn't work. It's foolishness. It's rejected. The natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't understand them. They're spiritually appraised. This armor is for us. It's uniquely for us. We are uniquely qualified to put this stuff on. Jesus said in Matthew 13, To you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been granted. They won't understand that. This armor is for God's soldiers. It's rather like us thinking, well, we do a good Christian course on helping our young couples to get ready for marriage. Maybe we could use that for unsaved people. We could teach them our marriage course. But to be honest, you can't really teach them your marriage course. At least your marriage course should be different. I mean, you can share common sense, like saying to the guys, it might be nice if you washed occasionally, you know, and communicate and uh, have a date night and, uh, you know, common sense stuff. You can share that, but anyone can share that. We've got a special armor. It has to do with Jesus. It has to do with Love your wife and cherish her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's that? Christ, what's that? Christ gave it? No. So that's meaningless to the outsider. You can tell them wash and talk and have a date night. And, but if you want Christian armor, if you want to protect your marriage, if you want to be in the battle but your marriage is safe, then you have to take God's armor. And so we hear, what does Jesus? Well, you bring in Jesus, the one, who's, the one who is the truth. His life affects the way we live. What he accomplished affects our thinking. It's the armor of God. It's God's armor. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. As Christ is the, as Christ is the head of the man, so husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is head of the church. Oh, that doesn't work out there. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, head of the wife? What, what are, oh, no, no, the world doesn't understand that. That's gospel secret. A mystery is for the church. Works for us. Why? Well, we understand who Christ is. We understand what man is. We understand what marriage is. What do you mean? Under, well, actually, it's a great mystery. The two shall become one. It's a great mystery. It's Christ and the church. Wow. Marriage. Yeah. It's sublime. It's amazing. It's glorious. Be armed with God's truth. Don't take any old truth. I mean, we can add to it. We can also wash. (laughs) You can still have date nights. You can still communicate. But the, the reality, the unique thing that we have, they don't have. And we mustn't say, oh, well, that's old hat. No, no, that's God's armor. That's truth. That's God's way. We, we disregard it at our peril. We're not putting on the armor God's provided, which the world doesn't understand, which Jesus said they wouldn't understand. And Paul says they don't understand. But we understand it's God's armor for us. So similarly, Christians won't be helped by common sense. You know, like, you know, don't cry over spilt milk. Things are bound to get better. All that stuff. It doesn't work for our battle. Our battle's too real. It's the battle. Silly sayings will not defend you. They're not going to do it. The kind of stuff we just read from PJ and the battle he's facing, he says Romans 8.28 is our fortress. That's war talk. That's taking the appropriate words. We need to be careful, dear friends, that we're putting on God's armor so we can win God's battle. 
So don't regard carelessly the things God has said. God's word comes to us with all its power, all its authority, all its ability to defend us and make us conquerors. God has given us unique armor. The world doesn't understand it, will never apply it. Let's not become worldly and say, well, that's old. No, 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 this is truth. This is God's armor for us. We need to take it carefully. We need to be careful that we're not just taking stuff. We're not using scripture wrongly. Sometimes we take hold of verses like Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. This is our vision. This is our four-year plan. A thousand or more by 94. Be gripped by my vision. Without my vision, you will perish. Mm, Is that what it means? What did it mean when the Bible talks about vision? Without a vision, the people perish. Well, what's the Bible mean? First Samuel 3, 1 Samuel 3.1, it says about Samuel as a boy in Eli's house in the temple. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. What does it mean? Does it mean, well, they didn't have a four-year plan? No, it meant God was not speaking to them. The word of the Lord was rare. The presence of God, the voice of God. That's all great to have plans, by all means. Let's have plans and thoughts. And, but let's not misunderstand what the Bible says. Let's make sure we're getting hold of what God says. I don't think your vision is necessarily going to stop the people perishing or casting off a train. We need God's word to do us good. Amen? Let the word of God grip us, change us, fortify us. Let's not be ashamed. We need, as Paul said to Timothy, rightly handling the word of truth. That's God's word to Timothy through Paul. Let's make sure we are putting on God's armor. So let's work through it. Obviously, it's a bit of a list here, so we're going to have to go through it fairly uh, briefly. But I feel to do so, and I feel God would have us do. So Paul is using the imagery of a Roman soldier, and he's applying the various parts of his armor, obviously by spiritual uh, observations, by God speaking to him. So he says, first of all, having fastened on... The belt of truth. The belt of truth. You remember the time when Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, what is truth? That's a very modern saying, isn't it? That's very up to date in our 21st century world, our post-modern world, where people say, well, what is truth? Is there any kind of universal truth? People are very reluctant to accept you wanting to say this is universal truth. This is the truth. They don't like that today. That's uh, unpopular. Maybe true for you. It's not true for me. It's the day in which we live. Now we need to make sure that we are not being affected by that if we're going to put on God's truth. Put on truth. Sometimes we can be sentimental as Christians and say, well, truth is uh, it's so wonderful. It defies definition. That's not really the approach we're to have. Sometimes people will say, well, it means the belt of truthfulness, the belt of integrity. Now, I'm sure it means gospel truth. We follow one who said, I am the truth. The Bible says God has spoken. And in these last days, he has, God, God has spoken to us through a son. God has spoken. We have truth. We're not on a search. We're not mystics. God has spoken through his son. He's not silent. God has told us what Jude calls the faith once delivered to the saints. Once and for all delivered. So we're to buckle on this truth. Now we live in days where people are raised on self-indulgence. Fragmented, aimless society really. Very much like Paul's day. Rampant individualism, consumerism. What we have to do in helping people to become soldiers is to really completely deconstruct their previous world vision, their worldview. They have to rethink. It's no good just adding a little religion, adding a little moralism to lives that are rooted in independence, selfishness. Even worse is it to write books that talk about how you can find fulfillment in your real self, how you can be wonderfully successful No, no, we have to see that the truth cuts at the root. It's the axe to the root. It's dealing with who we think we are, why we're on the planet. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for his glory. 
We're here to live as creatures of God, giving thanks to him, living for him. We need to be shaped by truth. The belt which the Roman soldier wore gathered around his garments, stopped him tripping over, helping him to feel, no, I'm together, I'm one here. I'm safe. This belt is round about me. So this truth is meant to control our thinking. It's meant to shape the way that we think. So Paul is not talking cold theology. He's looking for behavioral change based on the fact that God became man and dwelt among us. This phenomenal thing, this breathtaking thing. And that he lived this amazing life of power and energy and healing and mercy and grace and wisdom and love and died on a cross. Hands that only reached out to heal and bless were smashed to a cross. He was crucified for us. God's holy, pure wrath fell on him. And now God has raised him up and given him glory. He was raised from the dead. He's conquered death. All these truths are meant to shape my view of so many things. That we live in the light of breathtaking truth about Christ. What God has done in what we call the good news, the gospel. So the gospel keeps changing us. And we get shaped. We get this belt around us. Paul says this beautiful verse in Romans 6:17. You became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. Romans 6.17. It includes mind, heart, and will. There was a teaching that you received from the heart. Emotionally, you became obedient, your will. The, the word of God got hold of you. And it says this word to which you were committed. You might think, well, the word was committed to you. But Paul doesn't say the word was committed to you. It says you were committed to the word. This word to which you were committed. And the commentators say that the word that's used there is, is the word that used for making a mold and pouring somebody into the, something into the mold. So that whatever it was, maybe it's cement, maybe it's some other thing, you pour it into the mold and, and this word shapes you. You are, you are committed to this truth. You are, you are to be shaped by a truth other than yourself. It's taken away the shape you were, all the discordant notes, the way you were pulled this way and that. No, you have been poured into a mold. Not reluctantly, from the heart. You believed it, you received it. You, you, you gave yourself to it. So you're molded, your way of thinking becomes biblical. The way you appraise things, the way you ponder things, the way you look at a movie. You, you, it comes through this whole way of thinking now. This relationship, this possibility, this job, what I do with my money. It all comes through this new filter that I've been shaped by. I'm shaped by the gospel. It's not something I do on Sundays for a couple of hours and a book I occasionally read. I've been poured into a mold that's completely changed the way I evaluate myself, my relationships, my purpose for being alive. Be girded with truth. Buckle truth on. Take seriously what God has been saying to us in his word. Once we've been poured into that mold, thoughts like, well, I don't really feel God loves me. It's totally irrelevant. Sometimes a pastor has to speak to someone, I don't know that God loves me. Hey, come on. You haven't girded yourself with truth. I don't feel God's very near to me at the moment. Huh? Gird yourself with truth. What are you talking about? How irrelevant is such a statement? Are you not shaped by truth that says, I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Shape your thinking up. Be strengthened. Be a good soldier. We're not every wind that comes through. Oh, I don't feel. That's irrelevant. Get the armor on. It's not even something you can entertain. When somebody comes along with gossip or something that's not well founded or you haven't heard the other side of the story, don't waste your time on it. Be shaped by truth. You know, oh, he said, I thought, no, what are you talking about? There's truth that saves you hours of waste of time. Because you just don't go there. You don't bother. 
Oh, he hurt me. No, no, he didn't. You're in Christ who died. The truth shapes the way we think. And Paul brings that right into all kinds of... When he's talking to two women, he's writing the letters to the Philippians, and there's two women arguing, and he says, no, get them, try and get them together. And then he brings this massive, great teaching. He who was in the form of God did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself. And taking on human form, he humbled himself, became a servant, even to death, even on a cross. You think, wow! I mean, there are... Books and books and libraries filled with appraising that. Paul used it to stop two women fighting. It's truth that invades us and changes the way we relate to one another. We must be girded with truth. Held together, poured into its mold. Think biblically. It says in Proverbs, fools hate knowledge. I just started reading Proverbs myself, and I've just noticed this really, quite simply. Instruction without fear of the Lord is mere information. We have to receive it with the fear of the Lord, otherwise it's not going to defend us in life. Be strong, brothers and sisters. There's a world to take. There are churches to plant. There are leadership teams to raise up. There are godly young couples to start live their lives. There's a world out there. If we don't learn these lessons, we trip at the first hurdle. Because we haven't taken seriously this wonderful, wonderful truth. It stops you tripping over. Gird yourself with truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is to cover your heart, your emotions, shields you from enemy attack, especially in that emotional realm. We're acquainted with the book of Revelation where it says that Satan, the accuser, it's one of his names, accuses us day and night. I don't know that he does anything else day and night. The Bible records he does this day and night. So I assume it's one of his greatest weapons. He accuses you. He says, you're no good. You'll never be a good Christian. You'll never be a proper husband. You're a hopeless mother. Look at you. You're bad. He just accuses you. He constantly drip, drip feeding you with how awful you are and how far short you fall. And the tragedy is when we get into churches with a legalistic emphasis that only emphasize that instead of understanding God's wonderful grace and the free gift of righteousness that handles all these attacks. It's a gift of God and we put it on. You take it and you put on this breastplate. The Lord is my righteousness, we put it on. And you need to do that. You need to be confident that that's true of you. It's nothing to do with your performance. It's nothing to do with how well you are doing. Paul gave a list of his religious accomplishments. What he had done. What he had accomplished. How he had, he had, he said, I was this and this and this and this. Born the eighth day. Circumcised on the eighth day rather. Born a Hebrew of Hebrews. A tribe of Benjamin. It's like, I have such a pedigree religiously. But he said, I count it rubbish. That's his attitude to this religious accomplishment. What he had, he had done. He said, I count it rubbish. Actually, the word is excrement. That's what he calls it. It's an excrement. I sometimes, if we're walking with Wendy down the road sometimes, I say, watch out, there's a bit of religion down there. Don't tread there. <laughs> that is the word he uses, right? That's our common conversation now. If we walk, watch out, there's a bit of religion there. That's the word he uses, okay? Rubbish, mm, the Bible's a bit scared to say what it actually says. There was a deacon who went to the wife of a pastor and said to his wife, could you please stop your husband using the word dung when he preaches? And she turned to him and she said, you don't realize it took me several years to get him to use that word. The Bible says, not all your sin is filthy rags, but all of your righteousness is that filthy rags. 
It won't stand the test. It won't cover you. It won't protect you. It won't keep you safe when the enemy is saying, you're hopeless. You're useless. You, you see, because you're going to have an evil day. You're going to have days when you don't shine, when you can't be confident, I'm doing well. You're going to have days where you feel, oh God, I've got nothing more to give. I, I feel I've tried hard. And Satan says, you're useless. That's when you need another righteousness. You put it on. You have it. No, it's over my heart. And we understand what the Bible says. Now, all my guilt was imputed to him. And all his righteousness was imputed to me. And we're not talking some philosophical concept. We're talking about a life that was lived on this earth by the man, Christ Jesus. His total innocence, his purity, his never having sinned, his always pleasing the Father... His pure delight in pleasing the Father. This pure, magnificent life that was lived for 33 years on this planet has been accredited to me as though I did it. Hallelujah. We're righteous as a gift. We're righteous as a gift. His righteousness has been given to us. It's not the breastplate of performance. See, I had the privilege when I was in the States, I saw briefly on television Billy Graham at a meeting when he was giving over his library to make it a public library. And it was an extraordinary program. There was George Beverly Shea still singing and Cliff Burrows still conducting. And Billy, and they were very respectful taking the camera off him, but he struggled up to his seat from his seat and he took the Zimmer frame and he began to walk and then the camera went around and by the time they came back on him he got over you see it's one thing for Billy in his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s he said oh boy you know such a great man of God no no every time you know there have been hundreds saved but actually my righteousness is Jesus it's when you're frail that's when Satan kicks and says what have you done lately? How much have you performed? Well, I got to the. I've got nothing to offer except the righteousness of Jesus that will never change. That He is my righteousness yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not trusting in my performance to the end, dear friends. As a movement, we're getting older. Some of us are getting to the end. This righteousness is enough when you can't perform anymore. What was it like for someone like Duncan Campbell to live through revival, revival, when they preached and people screamed and fell on the ground and were magnetically drawn to meetings and hundreds got saved and strangely, 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 revival stops. And you preach and it doesn't happen. And Satan says, oh, God's left you. God's left you. The famous Oral Roberts who when he put his hand upon you and used to have lines and the tents, hundreds, thousands in tents, and a long, long queue of people, just put your hand upon me. Thousands healed. Seems to not happen now. Well, I've got the breastplate of spiritual experiences. Won't do it for you. Won't do it for you. Won't do the, the, the breastplate of Performance, the spiritual experience breastplate. In the end, the only breastplate that will do it is the righteousness of Jesus. That's the armor that God's provided for us. And it never changes, it never wears out, and it's perfect and spotless. We're told that priests never sat down because their work was never finished. He, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah. He's done it for us. It's finished. It's done. It's done. Jesus is my righteousness. When I wake tomorrow is my righteousness. The next day is my righteousness. And the next day is my righteousness. And when you go to be with him, he's your unchanging righteousness. What wonderful armor. Put on this breastplate. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in what God has provided. Next piece of armor. Shoes for your feet. Paul continuing with the analogy of the soldier, the Roman soldier. Alexander the Great apparently 
was innovative in developing footwear for his soldiers, which was then copied as the Romans kind of took over and replacing the Greek armies. Studded sandals, footwear appropriate for soldiers, able to stand. Really, it speaks of two things. I think it speaks to us this afternoon of stability and also mobility. Just quickly to touch on those. Being secure, resolute, assured. Phrases like rooted and grounded. We're not easily shaken. Jesus said, the wise man is the man who hears my word and does it. He says, it's like a man who dug down deep. It's that sense of stability, being rooted in truth, not quickly wavering, not changing ground. No, well, I used to believe that, but now I believe this. No, there's stability. Stand your ground. That's what this is speaking of. An ability to be secure, stable. Three times in this passage, it's a stand. The famous saying of uh, Martin Luther, of course, when he was challenged on the gospel of the scriptures and uh, was challenged, would he stand for this? And uh, he made his famous statement, here I stand, I can do no other. I stand here. I can never quote that without thinking of some, a day when I was at London Bible College and uh, the guy who was in that room, was out of the room for a while, out of his room. And while he was out of his room, a handful of students went in and removed every stick of furniture from his room. His bed, his chairs, his cupboards. I mean, he came back later, walked into the room, and there's literally nothing there. Except a poster over the mirror. And it said, as Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. <laughs> God wants us to be secure. I stand Actually, Os Guinness was a friend of mine at Bible College. He was a contemporary of mine. He said this in his book, Prophetic Untimeliness, which is subtitled, A Challenge to the Idol of Relevance. By our breathless chase after relevance, without a matching commitment to faithfulness, we've become not only unfaithful, but irrelevant by our determined efforts to redefine ourselves in ways that are more compelling to the modern world than are faithful to Christ. We've lost not only our identity, but our authority and our relevance. Our crying need is to be faithful as well as relevant. We need to stand ground. We needn't bow to the sacred idol of relevance to such a degree that we've moved off of ground without realizing what we've done. We've abandoned ground that was vital to who we are. We're no longer standing where we should have stood and then suddenly, hey, we're not quite sure where we are because we leaned over so far to be relevant. Oz is saying, now come on, be careful. Be careful because as you do that, you not only become unfaithful, actually became irrelevant because it's our uniqueness that makes us relevant. It's the ground we stand on that provides the answer. It's the rock under our feet. So standing, but also I do believe these shoes speak to us of mobility. So we're rooted but not stuck in yesterday's battles. There's a, a subtlety about this really. Being able to move swiftly was also part of Alexander the Great's tremendous triumph. He could move armies, move them swiftly. I wonder if you remember the Falklands War when the Marines and the parachute regiment covered 90 kilometers in three days carrying 80-pound packs. The speed of movement. Do you remember it? Yomping, they called it. That's one of the reasons they, 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 they did so well. They moved quickly. This, this very mobile army. Suddenly, hey, they're here. They're upon us. You find the story of Joshua when in Joshua 10 verses 8 to 9, God says to Joshua, see, I have given you this city. The next phrase always stirs me. It says, so Joshua marched all night. He was upon them. He didn't take, oh, well, he's given it to us. So, No, he, he moved. God's given it to us. Let's go. They marched all night. They're upon it. They go. There's a mobility about them. 
And then you find the kings are destroyed. And, and Joshua brings out these five kings out of the caves. And he says to the young men, put your foot on their neck. There's something strong about this, this footwork, this confidence, this assurance, this ability to move into a situation and bang your foot down. So now this is who we are. It's not that we're fighting yesterday's battles. Battles change ground. R.T. Kendall talks about this, the, the changing ground of conflict over the centuries. I don't want to be fighting battles of 300 years ago. There are big battles today. But we stand on biblical truth. So very, very vital. Get your shoes on your feet. Relevant, strong and clear. Then the next thing is shield of faith. We're told fight the good fight of faith. Now, it's not faith in faith. This is faith to hold back the fiery arrows of the evil one. Again, it's protective. It's to defend you from fierce hostility. Flaming arrows. I'm sure we've seen movies. I'm sure we're aware of how things were in those days, that part of the armory of conflict in those days would have been arrows plunged into fire and then arrows sent into the enemy camp, burning flame. Apparently Roman soldiers had shields that were four feet by two feet. They were made of wood. They were leather covered. And before conflict, they would take these shields and sink them into water, according to the commentaries. So that when their shields came up, they were soaked. And when the flaming arrows hit them, the, the shield didn't burst into fire. It was able to extinguish. What a wonderful phrase. Take the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish the fiery arrows of the evil one. Unexpected fiery arrows are terrifying. They hurt, they wound, they shock, they bewilder. And that seems to be able to creep up. It seems sometimes, and you can be a busy pastor, you can be a busy Christian worker, and, and it can creep upon you. Suddenly, some circumstances fall into place, and the utter horror I don't think I can do this. And you can feel that you've been deeply wounded inside. You've, you can get scared. You can begin to think, I, I can't keep this up. I can't, I can't live to other people's expectations. I, I fear that I'm, not, I'm just not going to make this. And horror can get to creep on you. I, I, I just don't know if I've got the capacity to make this work. And this can happen to any one of us. It certainly happened to me over the years from time to time where you suddenly feel, I can't do this. I haven't got the resources for this. I don't have the ability for this. And Satan seems to see when you're vulnerable to that and a fiery dart can come and shock you in its intensity and how much it hurts you, bewilders you and scares the life out of you. And he's saying, now listen, I am providing for you a shield which is faith, the shield of faith which is able to extinguish and the reason they would soak these things was that if an arrow landed in your wooden uh, shield, you said, my, my shield's on fire. You drop your shield and then comes the next arrow to total vulnerability. So, dear friends, you've got to fight the fight of faith. You've got to pick up this shield, which God says is able to extinguish. It's a wonderful statement. It's a statement to really get into your heart. Faith in what God says is true is able to extinguish this fiery arrow that's scaring me. I think, what's going to happen to us? How are we going to cope? Where's the money coming from? Who's going to keep our teenagers? What's going to happen to us? Oh, God. No, no, it's able to cope. You've got to fight the fight of faith. You've got to take up the shield. It's important that we do this. This is what Paul said to his next generation servant, Timothy. Now be strong. Fight the good fight of faith. He's saying, now put that shield up. You need to hold it up. You need to fight with it. You need to battle holding scriptures as your shield. Be anxious for nothing. See that as a commandment. Just a command. Don't steal. Well, of course not. Don't be anxious. Huh? No, it's a command. 
Don't be anxious. It's like don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Don't be anxious. Have to hear it as a command. Let it get to you. Say, Lord, okay, okay, I won't be anxious. Well, what do I do? Through prayer, supplication, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you, you're well able. Thank you, you promised. Thank you, you said you'll never fail me. Fight! Don't let the arrows take you out. Don't let the arrows end your ministry. I've seen guys over the years, you think, wow, he's a high flyer, he's going to go. They got taken out. Why? Well, I've known some, well, that happened and then that happened and then, ah, I don't know, I I can't make this. And they yielded to, instead of, no, no, God said. God said. You fight, you have to fight. The great Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, faith is an activity, it's something that has to be exercised. It doesn't come into operation itself. You have to put it into operation. It's a form of activity. We're so used to things being automatic, aren't we? If you're at the supermarket and you're pushing your trolley, and you think, oh boy, there's these doors in front. Oh gosh, what do I do? No, happily, as you come there, they open. I'm at, if I'm at the uh, airport, you know, you think you've got your cases. Oh, there's a door as well. Oh no, there it goes. Whee, through, we're through. Life is so pleasant. It's all automatic. It's all automatic. Lloyd-Jones says faith is not automatic. If you don't understand that, you walk into the door and... <laughs> see. No, it doesn't open of itself. You have to apply. It doesn't open of itself. You fight the fight of faith. It doesn't spring into action. When on the stormy lake, and Jesus says, where's your faith? It's not like, uh, well, I think I had that. Did you have a Peter? Who's got the faith? You got the faith? Now, where's your faith? You have to apply. I said, no, God said. You fight the fight of faith. As good soldiers. You don't just let it roll all over. You don't give up. You know, I love this verse, one of my favorite New Testament verses in Romans 4. Abraham grew strong in faith. So you can grow in faith. I'm such a little faith. Well, you can grow in faith. Abraham grew strong in faith being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. God had made him a promise, and he allowed that to persuade him. See, persuasion is is, is something that happens. Become persuaded. Let God persuade you. He became fully persuaded that what God had promised... He's able to perform. Because God knew Abraham. And it's not like God said to Abraham, you will have children. And then the years slipped by. And uh, Abraham, how, did you say you're 99? I didn't realize you were 99. And she's what? Barren. Oh, oh forget it. I never... I just, <laughs> hadn't realized. Sorry, Abe. It's not, no, no. He, pers- he became persuaded. What God had promised with all his knowledge... All his purpose, all his awareness of Abram's frailty, his inability, the barrenness of Sarah, fully persuaded. He promised. What he promised, he's able to perform. That's how faith grows. You fight the fight of faith. You put up the shield of faith. When Satan says, you're hopeless, you're useless, you could never do this, plant a church, who are you kidding are you an extrovert like him? Are you You're just a waste of time. See, the enemy is ruthless. He'll hit you when you're down. He's always a bit depressed. I'll wait till he feels better. No. <laughs> he'll hit you hard. You women, he'll say, oh, wrong time of the month. I'll just wait. No, no, he'll hit you. <laughs> he'll put the boot in. I don't feel, oh, good. Mm. You've got to see friends, we're in a battle. And we've got to say, no, no, God promised, God knows. We fight. We put up this shield of faith, which, now listen, it is able to extinguish. Such wonderful news. It's able to extinguish the fiery dance. It's not inevitable that this will destroy me. No, no, no. It won't. It can extinguish it. Take the shield of faith. You have to do it. It's you who have to do it. Take it. Take responsibility for that.
as we move on, I just want to jump the order a bit and talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon. It's the only part of the weaponry that doesn't protect one particular part of you. It is something you bring against the enemy himself. It's not defending your head, your heart. It's, it's against him. You, you come against him. It's God's word, the sword of the spirit. And we said that earlier, when we're girded with truth, well, there's a different way of having truth. There's a truth that we're poured into, keeps us secure, makes us think certain ways, makes us assess things. But then there's a sword. It's the same word of God. We go. We take it into battle. We withstand our ground. We resist the devil. He flees from us. That's what the promise is. That's how Jesus was in the wilderness when Satan came against him powerfully, subtly. Well, Jesus was defending, not by his divine uh, abilities, but as the man he overcame. What did he do? He did it quoting verses from Deuteronomy. He took the sword. You wonder, had he been meditating in Deuteronomy? Had that been a scroll he'd been considering? He just took that out. One verse after another from Deuteronomy. Just quoted it back with tremendous authority. Satan had to yield ground. Had to back off because of its power. It's the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired these scriptures. They're God-breathed. They're not just human ideas. They're God's truth. They're powerful. They have their roots in God. They can't be withstood. They can't be gainsaid by a created being. The created being has to submit to this greater authority, God's word. We have to learn to use that word powerfully. You find in the book of Acts, when you get these spontaneous sermons like Peter on the day of Pentecost, you know, not with his prepared notes and so on, suddenly thrust into the public scene, suddenly preaching, and, and comes to mind well, Joel and the Psalms and this words coming out of him. They're pierced to the heart. This sword of the Spirit, this Word of God. We must be diligent with this Word. We mustn't be careless about it. We need to soak ourselves in truth. Stephen, similarly, he suddenly hounded, he dragged, pulled out. We're going to stone him. He stands and begins to preach. Quick, scripture after scripture after scripture. He thinks biblically, powerfully. Do you think biblically? Well, didn't it say in the Bible something about, no, no. Think biblically. Get into truth. Let truth get into you. Let it master you. Become a weapon in your hand. We're not talking about proof texts. We're talking about a living, Holy Spirit-inspired utterance. God giving you His Word. Stirring you. The weapons of our warfare, we're told, are not carnal, but divinely powerful. So pull down fortresses. And then I want to take, lastly, the helmet of salvation. I've just felt so stirred looking at this, and I want to conclude by looking at this. The helmet, guard your mind with this helmet of salvation. Well, salvation is a, a many-faceted, glorious reality. has time aspects to it. We have been saved. Happy day, happy day. Jesus washed my sins away. My chains fell off. My heart was free. We sing these songs. I often, in my mind, go back to my, that teenage day when I first encountered you could be born again. What was that? Jesus is alive. He's alive. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. Yeah, that's salvation. I'm saved. Past. Also, I'm being saved in the present, continually. Being rescued from myself, my foolishness. Rescued from things I'm not even aware of. Rescued from bad reactions. Rescued from the world, the flesh, the devil. Ongoingly finding grace from God. Daily being rescued. You're daily being saved. He keeps on saving you all the time. We're the objects of salvation that keep on happening in our lives. But ultimately, ultimately, salvation is, in theological terms, an eschatological event. 
It's future salvation. It's saved, being saved from hell. It's being saved from banishment from the presence of God. It's being saved from that. And everything that goes before is, to be honest, small fry compared with being saved in that day. Being saved from hell and judgment and wrath of God. Saved into glory. Saved into eternal delight and joy. That salvation in its fullest sense is a future event for us all. And we're told here, put on the helmet of salvation. Paul says in Romans 13, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Our salvation's getting nearer. He said, well, I have been saved. No, no, it's getting nearer and nearer. The actual experience of this salvation from God's cataclysmic judgment on the universe. Our salvation is getting closer and closer. The night is far gone. Day is at hand. That's what he says. I remember the first time I flew and saw dawn beginning to break. It was like a black sky. It was like someone took a golden pen and drew a line across the sky. I thought, what? And as you look, this golden line, this beautiful golden line opened up and opened up and gradually the color of the sky came this deep, deep blue in contrast to the blackness of the ground. I thought, I I was glued to watching. What am I watching? I'm watching the day that's about to break. And Paul says about salvation, the night's far gone. Day is at hand. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. This short night will soon be over. Glory will break out. And Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. In fact, you'll find in Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, for a helmet, take the hope of salvation. Use a different phrase there and really points it to the future. Take the hope of salvation. Put it on. In hope we're saved. He says in Romans 8. He who, who hopes for what he already has? At Christmas time the children see the parcels under the Christmas tree maybe for a few days before. They've got their hopes. What it might be. They're tempted to. No, don't touch. Oh, I do hope. It's not yours yet. Can I? No, no, it's not yet. Not yet. Oh, I'm so hoping for. Paul says we're saved in hope. We don't hope for what we already have. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that's coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because even now we are the sons of God, but it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. This is the helmet, I believe. It's salvation in its fullest sense. The the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Eternal salvation. Coming into the presence of God. Being changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We should be like him. We'd be caught up in eternal glory. Mother Teresa said, when we've been in eternal glory, we'll look back at our life on this earth as one night spent in a bad hotel. (laughs) We're entering into eternal glory. We should be changed. And what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. It's not that death is going to swallow you up. No, your failing body will be swallowed up by life. That's our great salvation. That's when all the enigmas get put right. When all the unanswered questions find their answers. When you think, well, why and who and that was so sad. No, no, in that day. In that day. A salvation that overshadows and overwhelms everything we've seen before. The dear Frank Gambles of this world. You long, you long for them to get up, and they don't. And then frailly, they die. In that day, in that day, that noble soul will have a noble body 
appropriate. And all the unanswered, challenging, heartbreaking things. Salvation is ahead. The great salvation is ahead. Oh, we're saved. We're being saved. But the ultimate salvation that will answer, well, what happened in Orissa? As pastors, their houses were burned, their families. What's happening in Afghanistan? I read newsletters a week or two back. Christians in Afghanistan being hounded and lives in threat. I mean, the Sudan, all over the world. I've been reading about the Chinese martyrs recently from a book I had of Chinese martyrs. You read story after story. You think, this is terrible. Why? No, listen, there's a salvation coming. Be good soldiers. Be good soldiers. There's a salvation that is complete that will bring us right through into what God has for us. The ultimate, the hope of salvation. When we are changed completely. When we have a body appropriate for the new spirit that he's already put within us. We enter into eternal glory. Things that not even enter the heart of man what God has prepared for us. It's a real battle, dear friends. We have to put on real Real armor. This is one of the things we put on. Set your hope fully. And some of you battle with ba- children who are unwell, children who have never developed things, situations, elderly, pain, difficulty, no answer. Listen, set your hope fully on the grace that's coming at the revelation of Christ. That's when salvation really kicks in. That's the great salvation. That's ahead for us. So, friends, as we draw this word to a close, are you putting on the armor? Christian life, you need armor. It's a battle. Be strong. It's a transition word. We need to go on, but if you're going to go on, you've got to be strong. You've got to put on armor. You must take seriously God's armor. Make sure it's the armor that comes from God. We don't want the cardboard copies. We want the real thing. And it only works for Christians. But it works magnificently for Christians. It's God's armor. There's no armor for your back. There's nothing listed for your back. It says in Psalm 78, the sons of Ephraim, fully armed for battle, turn back. You could write shame in the margin. So many wonderful battles in the Bible, sons of Ephraim, fully armed, turn back in the day of battle. Don't run. God's fully equipped us, everything we need. Maybe even this afternoon you feel, oh, I have dropped my shield. I was so scared, I thought, so near me, I, my, my shield caught a light, I, I dropped it. No, 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 it's able to extinguish. Come on, get that shield back up. It is able to extinguish every, every flaming arrow God will not leave you he won't abandon you get that shield up let's fight the fight of faith let's pray maybe the musicians could come up please can we just stand please Father we thank you so much that you call us to conflict we thank you Jesus for your awesome example we thank you for your invitation consider him we thank you for your warrior heart your confidence in your father we thank you Lord Jesus that you won an outstanding triumph we thank you that we share the spoils of your triumph we thank you we pick up righteousness as a gift We pick up a shield that does it, does the work. We thank you we have a sword with which we can fight back. We thank you we've got truth that can mold our thinking, help us to evaluate all kinds of foolishness. Help us, Lord, to be on the attack, but to keep our defense wisely. Help us not to rush headlong into that which will cause us terrible harm. Help us to keep our defense in place. Make us mature, godly soldiers for your glory. Prepare us, Lord, for the day we meet with you. 
We want to be good soldiers when we meet you face to face. You can say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to pray especially this afternoon for any who know the flaming arrow has burned into them. Let this word, Lord, root out. Root out. Thank you, your shield is able to extinguish the poisonous, burning work of Satan. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, just rest upon us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing to the Lord.